a Hope Center Harlem motivational podcast. Hope Center family, hey there, it's me, J.U. Jones, your professor of positivity, that person that helps you live life and believe in possible, one post of inner podcast at a time. And yes, this right here is worthy, your motivational podcast brought to you by Hope Center Harlem, that free mental wellness space that offers a host of free therapy and wellness resources. Learn more right now at www.hopecenterharlem.com. That is www.hopecenterharlem.org. <laughs> Listen, I am so excited to bring you this episode, Students of Life, of Worthy. And just in case you forgot, Worthy is a motivational podcast whose motivational interviews run 10 to 18 minutes every fourth Monday of the month so that you can get your motivation from stories of others and get on with your day. Yes, it's all about helping you rather than lecturing you. So I am so excited in this moment, in this time, in this space to welcome our esteemed guest for today, Mr. Rawl Andrews, the executive director of the American Psychiatric Association that is focused on mental health advocacy. Rawl, welcome to Worthy, the podcast. Thank you so much for having me, J.U. How are you? I am absolutely ecstatic today. And I have that same question for you. How are you today? I'm grateful, J.U. I love it. If there was a reason in this moment that you would like to share of your gratefulness, what would that be? I have been able to walk and work in my purpose. And I know a lot of that is because I'm not leaning on my own understanding. I'm trusting the Almighty with all my heart. He's putting me in places to contribute. And somehow that contribution is multiplying over and over and over again. And so my wins become our wins. My successes become our successes. My achievements become our achievements. And I think that's leading to a better understanding of the need for mental health and better mental health outcomes. It's the community for me. That's what I love. And I think the each one teach one and reach back syndrome is a good syndrome to have. And I think that just pushes us in to the episode or the class for today. And so you might already know, I call the people that listen to J.U. Jones, the students of life, because they're always moving, always grooving, always shaking and learning in this thing we call life. And when we look at the podcast worthy, Worthy is all about people's lives, whether it's the ebbs and flows that they go through, all those mountaintops they sit on after going through a valley, right? Worthy is that podcast that helps us see that we are not alone in this thing, this game, this journey that we call life. So here's my first question for you. Rawl, who are you? I am a student of life, and so I'm glad to now be in this family, this branch of the students of life. Uh, I'm a father, professor, I'm a coach, I'm an attorney, I'm a nonprofit leader. Uh, But more importantly than anything else, I'm just Mr. Raw. I love it. Sitting in self, realizing that the magic lives in you. So let's go ahead and move and go back to those youth years, those teenage years, to teenage Raw, and talk about him, where he's from, and who he was in that moment. Where is he from? Who was he? So Mr. Raw... Before he was Mr. Raw, uh, was from Third Ward, Texas, which is a part of Houston, Harris County. Born 
reared and educated in Texas for the first 22 years of my life. You know, but I think part of the challenge when people talk about you seeing the glory, but you don't know my story. And I think I best epitomize that because it all works out now in my season of gratefulness. But there was a time when either I didn't know it was going to work out or wasn't sure. And so the way that I cope with my high anxiety as a preteen and as a teen was to do what we now know as cutting. And I used to nibble or gnaw. Gnaw is probably more appropriate than nibble on the uh, knuckles of my thumbs. Nothing but white meat left for years. And so, you know, the challenge of being young, J.U., when you do something like that to hurt yourself in such a visible way, you don't really recognize that somebody might ever see it because you think you're just doing it and it grows back and you take it off again. Or your nails grow and you peel it off again. Got it. So first, thank you for sharing and having a transparent moment with us right now, right? And so high anxiety, always worried, always moving, equaled cutting as we know it today, equaled gnawing down to the point of sometimes you might strike a small nerve and there might be small blood, et cetera. But there was some blood sometimes, absolutely. As, as you say that, can we rewind back to the feelings that were felt in those moments? What was going through little Mr. Rawls' head at that time as a teenager? What was he experiencing in life? I probably felt, although it didn't seem natural to the outside world, unworthy in that moment, you know, that uh, we weren't calling it imposter syndrome. You know, I'm in that generation right after Brown versus Board. So I was the only black person in my class or classes. And, you know, so you're kind of trying to live in two worlds where I'm still one of you, but they placed me in a class where I'm surrounded by people who don't look like me, by instructors who don't look like me. And, you know, why am I here? And you're kind of in a, in a no person's life, J.U., because the people who should be cheering you to succeed, we need you to make it. We're saying you think you too good. You're not black enough. And then you had... Uh, those who were in my cohort who were, you know, is this affirmative action? You know, I mean, why are you really here? And, you know, I wasn't cutting in public. You know, it was in private. But I remember sitting at the breakfast table, eating a bowl of cereal, nothing burger, right? Yeah. And all of a sudden, somebody asked what was wrong with my head. And I was ashamed. I was humiliated uh, because I had now been put on blast about what was happening. And I don't remember what I, I didn't say I was gnawing. I made something up about Woodshop or something like that. Boy Scouts, Cub Scouts, whatever. But even then, I just was a little more cognizant. But that didn't, that wasn't enough to shake me out of it. So I still would gnaw. I mean, this was years thing. This wasn't like a one or two time episode. How many years, if you can think about the amount of time, how many years were you cutting? I would say at least three and a half, four years. So from middle school all the way through what we would have called junior high school and just as I was entering ninth grade. Got it. And so for those students that are listening right now, persons who normally self-harm usually do it because their emotions are extremely powerful in that moment and they don't feel that they can actually get them out to someone. And so from what I hear now is that three years later, you stopped. Let's talk about the process towards getting that. Was there an adult or was there someone that we talked to or was there a change in life that helped you start the process of managing and regulating the emotions um, and tolerating the stress levels um, rather than working not? So I talked to a faith leader only because I think I had triggered some alarm at home about what was happening without knowing what was happening. And you obviously don't want somebody following you around the house. And 
I think in talking to, to Pastor Clyde, you know, what, what he was trying to get me to understand is you can't live all of life in one bite. And I was trying to live all of life in one bite. And if I don't do this on Monday, there won't be a Monday 10 years from now, or I'll never get to a weekend 20 years from now. So trying to be 12, 22, and 52 all at the same time was just not going to work. But that's kind of where my my orientation was. So, you know, the first thing we did beyond, you know, some breathing exercises and things like that was to just go through a ritual of cutting my nails to debunk some of my ability to cut. Obviously, I could have still chewed, but cut your nails so that you're not tempted to mutilate yourself. To this day, at 58, I still cut my nails all the way down to the end. So you will rarely, if ever, see any actual fingernail, white, the white tip. Mm-hmm. I cut all of the tip of the fingernail off. And I don't need to do it anymore because I don't cut. But every time I cut my nail, I'm taken right back to 12, 13, 14. And I, I remember why I cut. Now, the good news is, J.U., it's, I'm sens- desensitized. Like I don't, I can hit my hands on a marble table and it won't feel pain mm-hmm. because I've just so many decades of cutting it down. But that was that's what that all goes back to. Uh, And I've tried to slow down, but I move around a lot. (laughs) There's an old quote that I'll just offer up in this moment, and it's actually by Eartha Kitt. Eartha Kitt once said, it's all about falling in love with yourself and sharing that love with someone who appreciates you rather than looking for love to compensate for a self-love deficit. Mm. That shifts me just a bit um, as we start our wind down process today. There were other moments in life that kind of led out of this, out of the moments of not liking self, out of the moments of feeling misunderstood, out of the moments of distress where the regulation of emotions might not have been there in that moment. If you could share what one of those moments was and how you worked through it. Quickly, uh, I'm the world's worst vacationer. Mm. And I think some of my lack of self-love doesn't permit me to really shut down and just be in the moment of peace and me. When I got divorced, uh, you know, I was separated from my daughter for years. Although we have a good adult relationship, you know, trying to work through all that was tough. And then I think when I made my professional change uh, to go out of the private practice of law and be in courtrooms every day and find self-worth and self-love in that and become a nonprofit executive, I find the value in it now. But that transition was terribly difficult for me when I think about where I was in 2009 to like 2012. And did I really make the right decision or did I give up on my dream? Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing all of that. I truly believe that the students of life will hear this and understand that no matter who you are, no matter where you come from and no matter what you do, Emotion sometimes can push you to places when they're not regulated in the ways that are safe and healthy, to things that might affect you for a lifetime. Thank you for sharing. Uh, Let's just go ahead and shift a bit. I always feel like I'm shifting here. (laughs) I want to go back to 10-year-old little Mr. Raw. So before everything, if you could look at 10-year-old little Mr. Raw and give him some motivation using this story, using these moments later on in life as a guide, what would you say to him? All of life is made up of opportunities that you might never have. Mm. And I think in in staying in the moment to be prepared when those opportunities come, you're going to be ready for them, right? And so don't feel like because you don't have it all, because you don't know it all, because you can't do it all at 10, that at 58, it's not going to be in full bloom. But you got to be ready when it comes because it's going to come and you need to be ready when it happens. 
need to be ready when it happens and it will, it can come. But putting in a little work and having a little patience rings true to everyone. All right. As we start closing out, one last thing I'd love to do on Worthy, the podcast, is I love to give each guest a moment to exclaim to the world, to the universe, to themselves even, why they are worthy. So Mr. Raw, tell the world, the universe, and even yourself in this moment, I am worthy, dot, 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 and you can remix the sentence, whatever you want to do, let's go. Even with all I've been blessed to do and be grateful for it, I will tell you, J.U., I don't know if I'm worthy, but I'm glad that the Hope Center thought that I was. I'm glad that the church that supports the Hope Center thought I was. I'm glad that the American Psychiatric Association Foundation thought I was because it is only through their pouring into me that I find my worth because I've been able to be a part of a community that is trying to change the human condition, particularly for those who have been left behind or marginalized. And they're giving me a lane to be my whole self in my season of gratefulness to provide worthwhile work. And that makes me worthy. Mr. Raw Andrews of the APA Foundation and Mr. Mental Wellness Advocacy, I thank you. I thank you so much for being here with us today. And I thank you for speaking from your heart to the students of life so they too know that no matter what they've gone through, they too can get to a place similar to yours. And you also told them that even after you go through, there might still be some questions, but surround yourself with community that sees you as you are, not as they want you to be. Thank you so much for being here with us today. Thank you, J.U. And just remind all our students of life, if it's anything I can do, make sure you know that I'm leaving the door unlocked for those coming behind me. So the door might appear to be closed. The window might appear to be closed. Just jiggle it a little bit and come on in and do your thing. Thank you again. Students of life, students of life, students. <laughs> yes, it was such a magical moment to hear from Mr. Raul Andrews, who reminded us that in the midst of our struggles, community can help us reach our magical clouds. Ah, oh, <laughs> so amazing. As we close out today, I must say thank you. Thank you for listening to Worthy, a Hope Center Harlem motivational podcast. I am J.U. Jones, your professor of positivity, signing out, reminding you that you are worthy no matter what. And yes, I must say it. I love you. I love each of you for who you are. And I love us for where we're going. Class dismissed. Dismissed.